Hello, everybody. I'm Ryan. I'm Kaylee. And we're the Culture Queens. And welcome back to the Culture Queens podcast. Today, we have some more special guests, and we're so excited to share their story with you. Um, if you want to tell the audience about yourselves. Okay. Um, so I'm Dustin. I, uh, Dustin Bain, you can call me Dustin. Um, I graduated in May of 2020 from JMU, and I'm cur we're currently still living in Harrisonburg, but I am currently a graduate student studying performing arts administration at New York University, completely wow. online this semester, hopefully in person next semester. We will see. Either way, we'll be in New York next semester, so. Hi, uh, I'm Emily Dean. I graduated from James Madison in December of 2019. Um, I spent the first part of 2020 working at the American Shakespeare Center in Stanton. And now I've had a, a couple jobs since the pandemic started, but I'm currently an employee at American Eagle in the mall in Harrisonburg. <laughs> and if you're, if you're wondering why these people are on our podcast, they are two of my really good friends from JMU in the theater department. Um, and I just thought that they have a really cool story about being graduates and figuring out life and jobs in school and everything during a pandemic. Um, they're also working in a field theater, which is crazy right now also non-existent also just like very uncertain so mm -hmm. um if anyone listening is interested in some things that may not be really happening right now we hope that this kind of gives you hope maybe not that we have any of the answers that is for sure yeah absolutely absolutely zero actually it's just so interesting seeing you know the next step after college and so I think my first question for you guys is what were you planning um your senior year into that work life and how has that plan changed since the pandemic changed our lives yeah I guess so so since I graduated in December um before the coronavirus was really a thing that was impacting the United States. It was obviously on the map in China and it was something that was like starting to come onto our radar. But since I graduated December, I had actually already entered the career field in my field. Um, I started as a production assistant at the American Shakespeare Center, which, you know, to me was a good first step into my career post-graduation. And it was, kind of interesting and I feel like in juxtaposition to what his experience has been um, is that I feel like what the coronavirus interrupted was the beginning of my career as opposed to the end of my college experience and so it was kind of interesting being in the field and having a job as things were starting to shut down. Um, I don't know what your experience was being still in college. Yeah, so like I said, I graduated in May. So like it cut off the last part of my senior year. Um, I stayed in Harrisonburg the whole time. I never went home. So it, I don't know, it was just weird. Obviously just not graduating. I know like that's everyone's like, it was just 
I'm over it now. Like I think now if they were to reschedule graduation, I don't, I wouldn't come back even though I'm already in Harrisonburg, I wouldn't walk because like, I, I feel like I've moved on already. Um, but that was the biggest thing is like that. And then as theater majors, I don't know how other majors um, they're, I know they have larger classes, but theater majors, we have pretty small classes. So, I mean, I think between the theater, dance and musical theater majors, there was only like 50 seniors. So like we were all really close and obviously we lived together. We all share our dorm room freshman year. We live in Wayland. I don't know how much the other parts of campus know about the arts dorm, uh, Wayland Hall. We all live together um, and we've studied together for the past four years and we're together from usually eight o'clock in the morning. We have dance classes until 11 o'clock to midnight. We have rehearsals. So sorry, our dog is having a hissy fit, but uh, we're together like literally all day. So it was just more than not walking it was weird not being able to say goodbye to all of like our classmates and like all of our friends like it's like we didn't get to say goodbye to ryan so thankfully we're still in harrisonburg because we got to say bye to ryan now um and then so like yeah i think that was the weirdest part was just not being able to say goodbye to like friends and professors i was just gonna ask you to kind of like describe i know like you all made this sort of somewhat life-changing decision when in the summer you decided that you wanted to move to New York and then like if you just could describe set the scene of what happened like this was the plan then it kind of changed and now like your current plan uh and how how you're gonna yeah, be so, in New York <laughs> yeah um lots of great questions um so when the pandemic started, like I said, I was in Stanton working at the American Shakespeare Center and everything shut down, you know, pretty quickly. Um, and so we fortunately all got a two weeks notice. So I was working up until the day I left the theater. Um, and when that, the end of that two weeks was coming to an end, I didn't really know what my next step was gonna be. I thought about moving home to be with my parents and always applying for jobs in Richmond, which is where I'm from. And I, and then I also, you know, reached out to Dustin because we've been best friends since freshman year of college and he was still in Harrisonburg. And I really was just like, can I come crash with you until I figure out my next step? And uh, that was in March and now it's um, November and we live together. So that lasted a little bit more than me just crashing on his couch. But um, essentially I ended up getting a job in Harrisonburg. So I stayed in Harrisonburg, I moved into where he was. And then we really just were sitting on our couch one day and I happened to be on Zillow looking at New York City apartments, which is something I do in my free time for fun. Um, and <laughs> I was just showing him this apartment that I thought was fun. And he was like, what if we just moved to New York City? Yeah, I mean, we had no other plans. There was a pandemic. And this was even before he had found out about New York University, which obviously solidified the plan to move to New York City once he got into NYU. But we really just were like, well, the whole world's upside down. Why shouldn't we move? to wherever we want to live and so we started that plan and then 
I mean, do you have to talk about getting it in NYU? And... No, so I mean, like I said, we plan to move August 1st. August 1st? I yes. think August 1st. Yeah, yes. we plan to move August 1st. And obviously, after we're still in Harrisonburg. After you were supposed to walk, after you were supposed to graduate when they rescheduled. Yeah, right? because the graduation had originally been, before we knew how long this would all go on, um, graduation had originally been pushed to August 7th and 8th, I think, where those were the two dates. Bad. And we were like, well, we'll just, we'll start, we'll get our lease to start on the 1st. And then, like, we'll just move up after graduation because leases only really start on the first and the fifteenth. So it's like get our lease start on the first. We'll move up after graduation, and we'll be fine. We'll just we'll figure it out. And then I I found out I got into NYU in like May, I think May, April, May, something like that. Um, after a few rounds of interviews, which was weird, they like started doing interviews because of the pandemic. We couldn't like go in person or something so after a few rounds of interviews I found out I got into NYU so we're like well now we have to move like now there's no question about it because a few times we had tried to talk ourselves out of it just because like New York is scary um well moving away is scary especially by yourself with a dog um so during, we were, a like, during a global pandemic so we were like well now we have to move because I'm in NYU so I have to be on campus and so we had like we were we had a real estate broker we were looking for places but we were struggling to find an apartment because you have to have four times the monthly no 40 times the monthly rents um as your income in new york city to find an apartment without a guarantor in new york city but you have to hold the job in new york city for at least three months to prove that you have that income so you basically have to have a job for three months in new york city before you can get an apartment in New York City. It's really weird. And uh, I don't have guarantors and Emily's parents couldn't be guarantors for our entire apartment. So we are like, well, let's rethink this. And then I found out NYU was gonna be completely online for the first semester. Well, at least my major was gonna be completely online like the first semester. So we are like, well, you know, let's just, it was not easy. We were like, well, what if we still just do it? We don't, we don't wanna be in Harrisonburg anymore. Let's still just move to Har We were being stupid. We were being young and dumb. And we finally were like, you know what? No, we can survive a few more months in Harrisonburg. We'll be fine. We're going to move to New York eventually. We have to. I'm a graduate student. So we were like, well, you know what? Let's just stay in Harrisonburg. We'll be fine. We'll survive. We already have jobs here. So let's just stay with our jobs. And we started looking for a six-month lease, which was not easy in Harrisonburg either because it's a college town. So everything is around 12-month leases. And so we were trying to find a six-month lease. And the only place that would allow us to do that was um campus view which is where we're currently at so we're over here in campus view apartments hit us up if you want to have a socially distanced patio party um and so we got our six-month lease through the end of january technically we're here till january 13th but we're just gonna eat those 13 days and move to new york on august 1st and so we decided just to get an airbnb so that's a whole nother adventure is we booked it. We still can't find an apartment because we still haven't lived in New York for three months. So we booked an Airbnb for January 1st through April, the end of April. Yes. Yeah. The end of April. Um, Cause it's the same price as rent. It's actually a little bit cheaper than paying rent. It's just to book an Airbnb for that long and utilities are included in our rent and like it's four easy payments. Can't beat it. Um, so we're living in an Airbnb for four months so we can go get jobs and everything. And hopefully I'll be online. I mean, on in person in grad school next semester. They haven't told us. Either way, we'll be in New York. So I don't care. 
but yeah, that's our adventure of the whole New York ordeal. Yeah, and I think people keep asking us, you know, like, why would you want to move to New York right now in the middle of a global pandemic when, you know, obviously early on, like things in New York City were really scary. And I think that that had a lot to do with their, you know, population size, but we've been following like New York and the trends very like closely, obviously, because we have a vested interest in how they're doing. And um, we actually think they've done a really great job handling the pandemic and they continue to trend downwards, even though the rest of the country is kind of on the rise again. New York seems to have a better handle on it the second time around and is continuing to be really cautious and conservative in their policies around the virus and so we feel super safe moving up there right now we also you know we have a strong network of JMU theater alumni who live in New York City and have stayed there through the pandemic and we've been in communication with them and they feel good about being in the city so you know we've we've really like taken a lot of thought into this decision but it's just really really where we want to be right now so yeah, I feel like New York City is like, I'm not a theater major, but I can imagine that New York City is every theater major's dream. Um, and so that makes me wonder, what is your dream job in New York City? <laughs> oh, wow. You go first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot. I have a lot of dream jobs. So that's a big one for me. It's complicated. Um, so I, okay, I'll give a little bit of an I came into JMU Theater thinking I wanted to be an actor, um, did a lot of things during my time, but eventually stumbled onto like my passion and my love for being a director and um, just really what it is to kind of be that guiding force in a room of artists that's creating, you know, once in a lifetime, because every time a theater show goes on stage, it's a once in a lifetime experience. And I'm kind of addicted to being a, part of that process and to specifically being at the head of the artistic vision. So, you know, my dream job once I get to New York City is to hopefully assistant direct first for directors that I admire and who are doing the kind of work I want to be doing. Um, and then eventually, you know, to be a freelance director and to be able to make my living directing shows. And I'd also like to get into, you know, the administrative side of theater. And particularly I'm interested in the intersection of um, arts and government and like arts and public policy. I think um, both of us are really driven as artists by work that has an aim of enacting political or social change. And so I'm interested particularly with everything that's going on in our country and continuing to explore um, the intersections between arts and public policy and the nonprofit sector. So I wanna be a director is the easy answer. And then moving from there, hopefully more into the administrative side of theater and kind of trying to move this industry in a, better direction than me <laughs> so I also came into JMU theater um as an actor Who well I came it? in as an I came in like <laughs> as an education person I, I interviewed being like I want to teach theater yeah okay we see where we are now and so then I was like you know what I'm gonna act while I'm doing it and I did I acted for the first 
two years of college, I think I was in, I was in a main stage in a two or three studios. I was, I was good. I hated every second of it, but like, you know, I was okay. Um, You're okay. Yeah, I was okay. I wasn't, I was a horse. So I wasn't even like a performer, performer. <laughs> but hey, we were, we worked hard. My neck still hurts from those horse heads. Oh my gosh. Um, that probably doesn't make any sense. It doesn't to anybody make any to sense to anyone. <laughs> no one knows what you're uh, talking about. <laughs> reach out to me if you're interested. Um, <laughs> and so then I was like, well, why do I always feel anxious doing this? So I was like, well, it's because I don't like doing it. So I stopped doing it because finally one of my professors was like, well, if you don't like doing it, stop doing it. And I was like, oh, you're so right. So I stopped performing. And then I did costuming for a while. I did lighting for a little bit. Still doing the education thing. I did the education, the theater education thing all the way up to my senior year. And I was like, yeah, that's not what I want to do. And so then I found like stage management. I'm also a huge lover of directing. Like I would say like in theater, the artistic part of theater, directing is my passion. But I find myself falling more interested in the, the business side of theater. So contract negotiation, financial analysis, um, competitive analysis, all that kind of stuff is where I really find that I enjoy it the most. Um, making sure that people like her can like do the thing is where I find my passion is making sure that other artists can do what they want to do and not have like monetary barriers be what keeps them from doing it. Um, so then I obviously I applied to a few grad schools. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do if I didn't get into grad school, I, I will be honest. Like even before the pandemic, I like, I had no idea. I was like, I'm applying to grad school and like, we're gonna hope for the best. So I think I applied to NYU, Yale and Columbia. Oh, and American. And so then American was a bad choice, but like we did it anyways. It was your safety school. It was my safety school, but you don't need a safety school in going to grad school. Because if you're going to a safety grad school, just don't go to grad school yet. But in my mind, I was still in high school. I was like, you need a, you need a safety school. But back to what I want to do. And so then like once I graduate from my graduate program, I'll have a master's in performing arts administration. Dream job, reach dream job is managing director, uh, ticket sales director, or a executive director of a small nonprofit theater in New York. I say reach dream job because I'm right out of graduate school. I more than likely will never get that job. Um, I'll probably be more of like a PA or, you know, like an assistant managing director or something like that. But um, that's like the dream job right out of grad school. And then like, obviously dream job years down the road is like executive director or managing director or producer at a large nonprofit theater, possibly commercial theater. I'm, grad school has really opened my eyes to like commercial theater a little bit more, which is before I was completely not even interested in commercial theater, but it's opened my eyes a little bit. And then like, I plan on going back to law school like later in my twenties so that I can like actually work with arts and public policy. I plan on like leaving the art sector one day just to better do my law stuff so that's like ultimate dream job is like government his ultimate ultimate dream job is to be the president of the united states that is true anyone um, who knows me knows that that's my ultimate dream job is to be president of the united states but that's really far down the road dustin we'll and i'm gonna goes. duke it out on the debate stage <laughs> i'm just kidding 
we can we can be each other's vice presidents <laughs> it's a co-presidency no, I, now <laughs> i want to be we could we could serve for four terms like we could get it that's how we wrap it up <laughs> but yeah that's like ultimate dream job like yeah. president of the united states yeah yeah but like we that's like that in the arts executive director artistic director of a a major regional or a major nonprofit theater in new york i'm here Easy. for that energy yeah i think my long-term goal is to uh, be a professor of the arts and specifically like I'm applying for grad schools in this round and um, the grad program that I would really like to get into is New York University's arts and public policy um, graduate program, which I think is a field that is going to continue to develop as you know politics become more a part of our everyday lives as we've seen in this election in the past few years and um, I'd love to kind of, you know, teach that to younger students one day. And also I'd really just love to teach people musical theater, which I think would be fun. So gotta yeah. get that master's degree at some point. <laughs> it's so interesting that you all talk about how many different dream jobs you have, or like you've thought through the steps of your career, because I think that's something that's a growing idea in people's heads now that like, you don't have to know exactly the one thing that you want to do when you graduate and people now know that like even if you do think you know what you want to do that it's going to change like a million times even when you're in the workforce so I think that's that's really cool and I don't know Kaylee if you've like had any thoughts about careers I know you and I both as like smad journalism people like we've had some existential crises about what we want to do and um I'm about to start talking about my existential crisis <laughs> go for it oh my god oh my gosh it's actually reassuring to hear you guys talk about your paths changing and all these different dreams you want to reach someday because I feel like for me I always had my eye on one job and it got to the point where I was sitting in quarantine and I was like I don't know if I want to do this job anymore and the answer is you don't have to and I think sometimes when you major in something, you feel like you have to do whatever you major in. But I know that's not the case, but sometimes it still kind of feels that way. There's this pressure that you have that, oh, like you're doing journalism, you're gonna become a journalist. But that's not necessarily like the case for everyone. I have to remind myself that constantly. Um, I do wanna ask a very different question. Um, and it's kind of about the stigma of being in the arts. I know that for me, I'm not in the arts, but I'm a journalism major. And my parents weren't the happiest when I chose journalism over biology. I used to, I was gonna study biology, but I ended up dropping it because you know, that's not what I wanted to do. So I just wanted to know about your experiences being theater majors, pursuing that dream. And I guess things that you've done to kind of overcome those challenges of stigmas that you faced while studying or you know, you're still pursuing right now. Well, let me start by like counteracting what you just said about yourself I like I don't know how the SMAD department like pro like markets their program to you all but like journalism is 100% an art form like you are in the arts um 
there's the same uncertainty, there's the same imagination, there's the same creativity ingrained into it. I know it's not biology, I get that. I know it's not a STEM, but like, you're an artist, so don't downplay yourself there. But that's a big one. Um, I think my experience probably been a lot different from his, but um, I, in a lot of ways, feel from a very young age that my parents knew and I knew that there was no other major for me. Like I've been doing, I've been doing choir and church plays and school plays and dance and singing lessons and all this kind of stuff since like as long as I can remember. So I think for me, there was no other field from the arts. So I don't even think my parents tried to dissuade me from doing a major in the arts because they knew that that was going to be a fight that they couldn't win. Um, so they just instead threw their full force of support behind figuring out how to make me as successful as I could be in the arts. And obviously like my career path within the arts has changed a lot. But um, I think a lot of the stigmas you face is just like, people wondering, and I think a lot of people come from a good place wondering how you're going to make a living off of that career. And um, I think, one, obviously, if I cared about making a lot of money, I would have picked a different major. And um, two, I just think for me, it was far more important to know that for the rest of my life that I was going to be pursuing something that was going to feed my soul and so then once you know that's the path you decide to put yourself on um you just have to have the tenacity to do whatever it takes to make that happen and so um I think we've both always been headstrong headstrong stubborn um but we've also been you know resilient and scrappy and like we're hustlers and we're like willing to do what it takes to make it work. And I think you have to be that way in the arts, particularly because of the stigma around majoring in the arts. You know, people are going to question your decision at every turn. But I think also, you know, I chose the arts because I wanted to do something that fed my soul. And I think we have to get away from this idea that just because you choose a major, you choose a career path, that that's what you have to do forever. Like, if this is no longer what feeds my soul in two months, five years, 15 years, like I'm gonna leave the field. Like I'm gonna go and do something in the pursuit of what feeds my soul. And I think it's really limiting to put ourselves into a box and say, well, you can only do one job. But I think that's kind of what the college system and a lot of the school system forces you to do. And I don't think that's fair. And I think there are skills from all fields that apply to all other fields. And it's really just about learning how to adapt and to be resilient. And um, I really think that's what's at the core of the arts. And obviously, I love the arts. I've always loved the arts. And um, I'm concerned and excited about the future of the arts and what it's gonna look like post this pandemic. Like, I think a lot of us are scared that it's gonna become more elitist. Some of us are hopeful that during this time we can rebuild so it's less elitist. 
we're just going to have to see how it continues to play out. But I mean, what you had a very different upbringing than I did. So I did. So yes, like, I mean, her parents are very, very supportive. Her parents are very supportive of me. Like her parents are my parents. Um, but I, I had never touched a stage until second semester of my senior year of high school. Um, I was forced to take a theater class because we had to take a fine arts class. So it was either theater, it was either theater, chorus, band, or like painting. I don't visual arts, visual not painting, painting visual arts. Um, oh, I knew I couldn't sing. Um, I had never touched an instrument before, so I, there was no point in me starting bands my senior year of high school. Um, plus, it was expensive. I had to like buy the instrument, and I wasn't going to do that. And then they wouldn't let me take speech, like um, public speaking that wasn't a fine arts. And then I didn't like to paint. So I was like, well, I guess theater it is. So I took theater, started in January, um, auditioned for JMU's theater program in February. So like, I like immediately fell in love with theater. So I was on a, I had already gotten into JMU for early admission, which I think is in December, November, I don't know. Whenever you get in for like early admission, I had gotten in. I think we find out. You find yeah. out in January. You have to yeah. apply by like November or something. I but I got into JMU for sports medicine and on a pre-med track. And I'd already done the sports medicine pre-med orientation. I'm very much like you, Haley, where I was like, you were biology. I was like pre-med. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Because I studied it for four years in high school. I was a sports medicine intern through Bonzacore. And I like played sports and I was like really involved in that. And I love, I really did love it. Like I could see a future in it. I had such a passion for it. And then like, I started taking theater classes and I found a new passion and I still have a passion for sports medicine. I talk about it all the time. I'm still certified. I still try to be certified and I do all that. I love that. That's a passion I have. Some, I talk all the time how sometimes I regret switching. Justin's career goal changes based on what hour and what minute of the hour you ask him. Yeah, like I want to do so many things as I've already talked about, but like I'm upset with how short life has to be because I can't do everything I want to do. But um, but that is life. But then so my teacher, my teacher in high school made me audition. I didn't want to. And I got in. I was like, you know what? Let's do it. I was like, let's <laughs> it's only eighty thousand dollars. Let's do it. So I decided to be a theater major. I was still a double major in sports medicine, dropped that within the first three weeks of getting to college, added a double major in SMAD, dropped that, added a double major in education, dropped that, added a double, double major in English, I dropped that. Um, IDLS. IDLS, that's education, dropped IDLS. Um, I think there was one more somewhere in there. You were a dance major for like a week. Dance major, dropped that. So I've been, I've, I've gotten, but I would do it because there was a class I wanted to take that I couldn't take. And so I'd be like, well, they were like, well, you can only take it if you're a major. So I'd be like, fine, I'll join your major. And I would join their major. I would take the class I wanted to take. And then I would drop the major. That's how you fool the, that's how you scam the college system, y'all. Quid pro quo. What's so that? I feel like we're really indicative, you know, I feel like in the arts, there's, kind of two types of people and I think we're very indicative of those two types of people which is the person who trains their entire life 
to be in the arts and that's all they've ever wanted and the person who kind of stumbles into the arts and the magic that it is and is enraptured by the process and both are equally valid i think um it is indicative of the fact that we are a male and female um or at least that's how we choose to interact with the world um men tend to be the ones who there's kind of less jump in. there's less of us in the theater industry so we have we would we have it much easier i think there was in my in my theater class i think there was like eight theater major guys and like 36 women so like we have it much easier and like i am not scared to shy away from that i've had it much easier in this program but regarding stigmas around the arts and my like viewpoints on it is like, so like I went through or like my whole family was like, ooh, arts, because I'd obviously switched my second semester of senior year of high school. Um, and then like I got here and I knew nothing. Literally, I had never picked up a play before except for Grease the Musical, because that was the musical we did senior year. Didn't even know how to read a play. Didn't know who... I don't, I had never listened to Hamilton. I had never listened to a musical. Like, so I like got here and I felt so behind. And I remember going to professors every day and I would set aside two hours every Friday, my first semester to like read a play in the theater library. And so I like read a lot of plays my first year. But then like, so like the stigma started surrounding me when they were like, well, now you have to like, you have to perform. And I was like, okay, so I performed. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that anymore. So I switched majors and I was like, well, I don't want to do that anymore. So I went back to theater. And then another time it was like, well, you have to pick something. And I was like, well, I don't want to pick something. And like, I think theater and like the JMU theater program, but also like JMU as a whole, really like, I don't know how other majors are. So I guess I can't speak to JMU as a whole, but like the theater major really like inspires and what's the word? Encourages you to try multiple things. Like I did costuming, I did lighting, I did education, directing, administration. And like, I am very money driven. So that's when I was like, well, maybe I want to do administration because like I joined the arts out of passion, but it doesn't change the fact that I actually would like to live with a nice place, um, a family and food in my belly. So I was like, well, I'm going to do something that like maybe could make me money. So that's how I got into the administration side a little bit. I am passionate about it, but like, I like money as well. Um, There's nothing wrong with being passionate about money. We should also say that, like, you're not more or less of a human being with moral standing because you do what feeds your soul or like you do, you pursue money. Maybe money is what feeds your soul. It's just not what feeds mine. I grew up very poor. So like money is a big driver for me. That is a passion for me. That's a stigma that I'm trying to overcome in the arts. I mean, yeah, I guess it's like stigma. I guess like the biggest thing I learned about the stigmas is like, everyone's always saying like choose something and like the best piece of advice I ever got was what I've already said is a professor one day just said well if you don't like doing it just stop doing it and I was like oh you're right so like I didn't like performing I stopped doing it didn't like other stuff I just stopped doing it um until I finally started doing stuff I did like and like Emily said like a year from now if I'm like wow I really this doesn't bring me I don't enjoy going to work I don't enjoy creating art then like I'll just stop doing it I think like our country, our world really has taken a huge shift into like what you were saying, Kaylee, about being able to just kind of do whatever you want, like whatever you're passionate about. You're more, I think the world's finding that people, every industry is a people industry, which is before it, that wasn't true. There was business industry and like theater was a people industry. 
But I think people are starting to realize that like every industry is a people industry. And that if people aren't passionate about what they're doing, they're not as productive as they could be. And we're a country driven by productivity and efficiency. So if your people aren't passionate, then they're not going to be productive and efficient. And I think people are starting to realize that, which I think is a great thing. I think also, um, I mean, there are lots of stigmas around having a career in the arts. And then I would say, once you've kind of started a career in the arts, there's a lot of stigmas within the field itself particularly like um, the two the two fields that I was the most interested in in college and ultimately came out of college being the most interesting in directing, but were directing and lighting design, which are traditionally male dominated fields. And so um, there's also a certain a bit of pushback, you know, when you're a woman who particularly in directing people don't necessarily always like assertive women. We're not trained to accept that as a society. So there's a lot of, you know, pushback in being a female director. And I think the industry is doing a lot to combat that, but it's still built in. And so the stigma around female directors is another thing that I hope to be a part of the change in, but it's gonna take time. Does it answer your question? We really sidetrack everywhere. No, that really does. And I, you know, sometimes when you think of stigma, you don't think about, you know, within. And you mentioned the female director, and that's something, you know, I didn't think about right away. And so that's amazing that you're pursuing that. And Kaylee and I, I think face that too we'll in see. journalism. That's a good point. Journalists, it's, without a doubt, like, that's definitely been male driven. Um, honestly, like what's not male driven? Like, let's be honest, but. Uh, <laughs> that's besides the point oh god i mean unless you want to be like a costume designer that's a female driven right. field but right, um, right. and you know when when they started finding out that taking care of people and healing them was something that was going to be big then the men flocked to that as well so there's really nothing that you can't find some gender role dynamics in but I just wanted to ask a small side question, which honestly I'm interested in as y'all's friend as well. Um, y'all did something real cool when you were still at JMU called creating a theater <laughs> collective. These people yeah. just, oh, yeah. they just decided that there wasn't anything for them in the department currently that they wanted to work on and they had passions and they just created this collective and did a little show that was amazing and uh different than anything I think that STAD like is like interested in doing like it's very different it's non-traditional all of that so I was wondering if you all have talked at all if your life isn't as busy already if you had talked at all about where that's gonna go if it's on pause if there's a future for it or not. I guess um, since the podcast listeners might not know what you're referring to, I'll touch <laughs> everyone up to speed on what Sorry. you're talking about, which is um, that we've been best friends since freshman year of college and our my last semester of college, we decided that what we wanted to do was uh, start a theater company um, because that's a 
great idea while you're trying to also write your senior thesis and finish college. Let me interrupt really quick by saying this is the exact same, this conversation happened the same way that our New York conversation happened, <laughs> yeah. where I think we were just sitting in a living room one day or like eating at Brick House, maybe. I don't, maybe we were drinking, I don't know. But we, New York, I was like, let's just move to New York. And she was like, okay. And I think this way, she was like, let's just start a theater company. And, right. we, and I was like, okay. Yeah. Here's what happened. Um, we we talked at length the entire time we were at JMU about how interested we were in this concept of something called immersive theater, which is a theater form in which the audience are as much players in the thing that they are watching as they are observers, so they can actively engage with and change the course of the show that they are watching which was something that was really interesting to us, particularly in the intersection with our political motivations and how we wanted to use theater to impact the world at large. And so um, our company, Catalyst Collective, was born out of the idea that one, this was just something that we wanted to do. Two, there wasn't a path for us to do it through the formal channels at James Madison University. And three, because we felt that our community needed it. And so um, we started Catalyst Collective and we started planning our first show, which was called Beneath It Lies. And it was based on the themes of the Me Too movement. And so we created an hour long immersive theater production that was completely devised or that means created in the rehearsal room with our group of actors so we didn't start it with a script we started from nothing and got into a room with our actors and said what's important to you what's important to you what do you want to talk about and how can we make that engaging and interesting to an audience in a way that they're going to leave with a message that may serve as a catalyst to creating social change in their own community. Um, because theater can only go so far if you don't inspire your community to continue the work outside of the show that they just watched. And so we got together a group of 11 performers who, not even all of them necessarily considered themselves performers when we started the process, but we liked their energy and their ideas and what they brought to their table. So we made them a part of our group and um, we found an empty warehouse in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And we um, got my dad to come to town to hang some tarps and some lights and, um, we just brought in community members and we sold tickets and we paid our actors, which was important to us. And um, yeah, so as for Catalyst going forward in the future, I think both of us, as I think a lot of people are right now, are in survival mode, which doesn't leave our brains a lot of room for creating <laughs> endeavors because I'm like, well, I could spend time investing into Catalyst and doing this work, 
or I could go DoorDash and earn $170 and help pay my rent at the end of this month. Um, so it becomes a challenge, but I think we do certainly have the ambitions and the goals to come back to Catalyst once we feel like we're in a more secure place personally. And I, I honestly think when we started Catalyst, we definitely had and still have every intention to turn it into a full-fledged company that could one day become either both of ours or just one of ours full-time careers. Yeah, I mean, like I'm in, like I said, I'm in grad school to like learn all the administration stuff. Of, like, I'm learning things like how to actually form. Like, we're registered as a nonprofit through a third-party system, but on um, how to like actually register us as a non, like a full-fledged nonprofit organization, um, all that kind of stuff of like what we have to have, like how we like would function a board of trustees and all that stuff that the nonprofits required to have so like that's why I'm in grad school learning that is to not only like build a career for myself but also like to push along catalyst um and then another thing is like we we I think we would we talked about it before we moved to this apartment but like we we're like we should be doing something right now in response to what's happening like we feel we feel pushed to do that but we not only are we in survival mode but like we are at a place where really the only way you can function theater productions that anyone has come to right now is one either over zoom or two quarantining your entire production crew for two weeks and then then producing it and so we're really so the zoom platform there are companies right now who are beautifully producing works over zoom uh, we have friends, Nicole Redifer and Taylor Autumn, who started the Mask Collective, and they're doing wonderful readings over Zoom. But that we, like I said before, like Emily said before, we're very interested in immersive and engaged theater with our audience. And that's just not something that we have found out a good way to do over Zoom. So just the way we like to make art doesn't lend itself to Zoom, solely Zoom viewing and participation and, and then, not only the way that we like to do art but if you look at the the founding principles of our company and the like guiding beliefs that we have it doesn't exactly align with our company's missions yeah. because one of our guiding beliefs is the power of being in the room and so like if we can't all be in the room as people together, then it, we're kind of skirting around the foundation that we built the company on, which feels disingenuous. And I think would show in our yeah. art. And then the second way that people have found to create art right now is by again, quarantining your entire production crew for two weeks and then producing it. Um, and we are just very big believers in paying your artists and paying your production team and just paying everybody involved. I mean, we're trying to overcome the stigma that you can't make a living out of this. So why would we not pay our people who are doing great things for us? And we aren't in a place where we can pay our production team for, two, we don't have the capital to bring to a venture product right now to pay our production team for two weeks to quarantine. Because it would be wrong for us to say you have to quarantine for two weeks, but then not pay them to do that. That's part, if we're asking you to do that, that's part of your contract, that's part of your job. And so we just don't have the way, the capital to bring forward and put forward to pay our people right now. So we feel bad doing that. 
and then yeah, I, go ahead. And I think the third thing for me, and I, I, I don't know if you feel this way because we haven't actually talked about this, is um, with everything that's going on in our country right now, even though we're both part of the LGBTQ community, I think the two of us have an immense amount of privilege and I don't exactly know where our voices fit into the conversation right now. And so I don't necessarily want to take up the space that I feel the more important voices should have right now. And so, and that, and that's totally a personal thing. Um, I'm sure you feel similarly. I do, especially if we're not bringing anything new to the table. Anything we would be saying right now would be a repeat of what's already been said in the industry and what's been said through art forms right now. Like art, like we would always bring something new to it, but our, our new morsel to add to the conversation does not overpower what other people have to say right now. And again, that's one of our guiding principles. One of our guiding principles of the company is the power of the platform and then giving marginalized and excluded groups the platform to use their voices because obviously we don't believe that we need to give them voice they already have voices we just want to amplify and help right and i certainly think there's a way that we could do that right now but i also think those communities are doing a wonderful job of doing that themselves and so we don't necessarily feel the need to insert ourselves in a way that feels disingenuous right now yeah that's country that's our company where we've been where we're mm -hmm. at and where we're going kind of where we're going who knows um it's not dead it'll be i'm terrified i've never i'm very used to making art in little old harrisonburg virginia yeah. um and our, our work here in our company seemed really experimental. Um, it, wasn't. it wasn't. Like we knew it wasn't, but to our community and to our audience base, it seemed experimental. I think it was the first production. I don't want to say theater production because it wasn't a theater production. It was dance, visual arts, poetry, right? Like journalism, creative writing. It was, it was a collective, obviously. It was a catalyst collective. Duh um but for even for i think some of our artists who again didn't see themselves as performers going in like our our audition process for our show was literally just come in you have a three minute time slot and just do something for us doesn't matter just come show us that you would like to be a part of our production um so we had, we did have people come in with traditional monologues that an actor would bring in but we had dance majors come in and dance for us we had someone who was a freshman at JMU and was just really nervous. I, she just came in and drew caricatures of us on the whiteboard in the room. And like, it was just amazing. And we, and we just had, loved her vibe. So we had someone come in, we had someone who came in and just talked with us, like just literally talked about their day. And it was just, so we brought all these new faces into a room and we were like, let's create something. And like, like Emily said, we were in a warehouse downtown with no running water, no, no heat. heat, and literally a year ago, two weeks ago. So in the middle of October, November, no heat. And our performers would come there. It was filthy, by the way. Disgusting. Filthy. Pretty sure we all had black lung at the end of it. Even though we spent literal days doing everything we could to clean it, it didn't matter. Yeah. 
wearing we were wearing masks before it was cool let it be known we were wearing masks in that well, we were doing that so that we didn't die of dust inhalation so uh, <laughs> but um but our performers and our were just in there and they were like yeah it's freezing but let's make art I and mean, they were in buckets one of our performers was like i need for this piece i'm devising i need to stand in a bucket of water i need to drench myself in water even though it's 40 degrees in this warehouse and we were like girl okay we will get a space heater we'll figure it out like we tried to talk her out of it let it be known we're not cruel directors but <laughs> she's like no like for this piece that i'm making i feel i need to be in a bucket of and again, it came back to what I really believe in is they were like, we just let them create it and we facilitated the conversations yeah. and the art process and tying it all together. And we were like, what do you need? What do you want? We'll figure it out. Um, which is like really something I believe. And I talked about it earlier is I believe that like artists should never be, I think artists should be frugal, but I don't think that artists should ever be tied down by a financial line item. It's like, yeah, let's really see how we can make this as cheap as we can, because I also believe in cheap art. But like, if you're like, I need a bucket of water, it needs to be, that bucket needs to be big enough to hold me. And then we're like, well, it's 40 degrees. And she's like, I still want to do it. Then it's our job to also be like, well, we have to also find the money for a space heater now. We have to, we're also choreographed a piece for, they were on the floor. Great. So now we have to find the money for rugs. And like, we did outsource a lot. People were very generous and donated a lot of lights to us and a lot of they donate donation of a space heater and a rug so like people were very kind in helping us outsource but um and obviously matchbox realty donated us the entire space yeah, like they free. let us use that warehouse for free which is insane i mean we literally just called matchbox over and over again until they gave us the space which is insane um and I mean, we crowdfunded the whole thing. We asked members of our communities and our, our families and our actors' families, you know, to donate to the process and to donate not only money, but supplies. And then we covered everything between crowdfunded donations and ticket sales. And in fact, we even came out with a net positive profit, just, just, just a little. After paying our actors, we know. Well, like we didn't take a paycheck, so like we technically didn't. we didn't come back net positive because we had to pay ourselves. But like the company, we are the company, so the we, company had a positive revenue, which is chef's kiss. But yeah, I mean, I think we have every intention of returning the Catalyst Collective. I just don't think for us it makes sense right now. Yeah, yeah it's so cool because I feel, <laughs> I feel like that story while you're telling it again even though I knew exactly what happened but it makes me think of like Kaylee and I and starting this podcast and like just taking advantage of like this crazy time like no matter what it is you're inspired by something that's going on in the world and for us I feel like it was COVID and like how are we gonna like keep telling stories and keep like communicating with the outside world when it felt like we couldn't. Yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, something I thought about over the summer was we print the newspaper every week and I didn't think there was going to be a newspaper this semester. And there was, which is amazing that we were able to pull that off. But I was brainstorming, you know, you have to be innovative during times like these. 
and I was just thinking how can we like Ryan said keep telling these stories these are really important stories especially how coronavirus has affected everybody's lives and still kind of get that audience and so podcasting was something I never thought I'd ever do but here we are <laughs> yeah and we also like, have stan of the podcast okay <laughs> I've listened to every episode and when Ryan announced I was like if you don't have me on as a guest I'm mad um so here we are but stan the podcast absolutely. you're lucky you're interesting I'm just kidding <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> at least someone thinks so that's all I think so but yeah, I think it was just like, and we've gotten people ask us too, like, are we going to continue the podcast when we both graduate? Because like, this was just sort of a, like on a whim thing. And like, thankfully, the breeze like supported it and has given us all of these resources for free. And it's like, I mean, we both yeah. are passionate about it and want to keep going with it for sure. But it is definitely something you have to think about when we're university students right now who are getting access to normally a studio and microphones and all of like and a, a video editor Jen does such great stuff for us every week um love her shout out um and so okay now we have to think about when we graduate like man how do we continue to like be innovative and creative um, it's going to take a lot more blood, sweat, and tears maybe, but um, it's worth it to make yeah. things work, you know? It really is. And I, yeah. And I mean, just what I'd say is like, you guys should only keep doing the podcast if you want to keep doing the podcast. Like, it doesn't matter really if anyone wants you to continue the podcast. If you hate doing the podcast, like you said earlier, you just got to stop doing it. I know you don't hate doing the podcast right now, but if at any point you do, then just don't. But um, yeah, it definitely feels like once you start something, there's a lot of external and certainly internal pressure to continue doing that thing. Um, and I don't really have all the answers for what it looks like to continue to do the thing past graduation but you will figure it out and there's a different path for everyone well I think that's all we have for this oh, episode wow, yeah. um this was awesome Amazing. I feel like you all dropped the advice on everyone <laughs> do what you want to do stop doing it when you don't want to do it anymore don't yeah. worry about it. Take risks. All of the above. I'm glad just, like yeah. somebody feels like what we say is advice. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it really did feel it was so reassuring kind of hearing, you know, your own success stories. And, you know, your dreams are about to come true. And that's really cool. Look at that. An, out so. <laughs> an outside source even says it. I'm a Dustin and Emily stan as well. It's mutual. The feeling's mutual. So, but there you go. Kaylee does just met you and she already supports. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, we hope you all enjoyed listening to Emily and Dustin share their crazy stories in life and love of the arts and all that good stuff uh make sure to binge listen all of our podcasts if you haven't already 
It's a great way to escape the world for a little bit. Um, and also make sure to follow us on Instagram at Culture Queens Podcast. And we will see you next week. Thank you.